Hello, I'm Jaron Kamen, and this is the Rabbit Room Podcast, episode 37. You're listening to part two of a conversation between Kaysen Cooley, Ben Shive, Ron Block, Rebecca Reynolds, and Don and Lori Chaffer. This is Productive Collaboration, part two. I think that um, paradigms, you know, it's the Robin Hitchcock, is that he the one that said talking about music is like dancing about architecture? Right. I think, um, so all this stuff exists fairly soundly in the realm of, of theory and hypothesis because it's, it is fundamentally a dance with the unconscious, and it wouldn't be unconscious if it were so visible. <laughs> it's like a deer at the edge of the forest. You know, it's um, skittish and prone to run away. But it's really beautiful when they stand there and you can see them, you know, especially if it's raining lightly. Anyway, um, uh, what I was going to say is that I think, though, one of the things that I think is important to realize in terms of the unconscious is that there is a reservoir of things that will frighten and scare you that exist within the unconscious. Sometimes I think, too, that the nature of the work in the craft may be reflective of the outcome. And by that I mean it could be that you, in writing an angry song, are angry. It could be that you, in writing a song of doubt, are full of doubt. And the tendency would be, as Christians, to um, exalt certain virtues and, and put down certain, um, what's the opposite, vices? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I think, really, creativity is a lot more inclusive than that. I think you start missing um, things if you eliminate the shadowy portions of, of human experience. Uh, you won't write, mind, mind you, very many uh, good Christian pop songs if you include any of that stuff, but just for the record, because they, they can't, they don't have much tolerance for it. They do, some people are remarkably adept at like slipping a little something in there, you know, but for the most part, there is the question of commerce, which would be an entirely different conversation. But what I was getting to is, sometimes I do think there's this bearing down, this tightening that's the opposite of what you're talking about. And while generally I appreciate Jackie Chan more than Chuck Norris, which is, i.e., fluid versus sort of stiff and white, um, I think that uh, I think there is there is benefit to like beastly intelligence that you see in like say Steely Dan lyrics. But there's nothing more vapid and like full of ennui and dissipation than those lyrics, right? And so it makes sense that these, like, nerdy white guys from New York would have written these in a fit of, like, sort of... Uh, am I making any sense? I feel like I've gotten way into a lot of... Big... What? I don't... Paul Simon... You mean, like, the way that the blues traveler guy, like, starts rattling off lyrics, and you're just like, you're so clever. Way to go. Right. Well, but I think part of what I'm saying is... So hyper clever lyrics achieve a hyper clever effect, and so yeah, yeah. it's not that's not right or wrong. That just is what it is. Because right, there are lots of people who like hyper clever. Exactly. Lyrics. So that's I guess what I'm getting at is I think that the nature of the work will deliver a certain outcome. So if it is tight and white knuckled, you're going to get a tight white knuckled thing. But right. hey, a lot of people feel tight and white knuckled, and when they hear your tight white knuckled song, they're right. they're like, yeah, I feel yeah. that. Does that. that make sense? That reminds sure. yeah. me of what Robert Henry in the art spirit. I don't know if you guys have read that book, but he's a, he was an American paint instructor. Um, and he would talk about how every brush stroke that an artist put on the canvas carried the... the Consciousness. Yeah, uh, the consciousness of the artist. And so, you know, it's it, impossible to remove that from what you've created. Right. Yeah. So the mindset you create in is as important as yeah. the, the work itself. Yeah, and therefore, judging the mindset can be injurious even if it's like sort of a generally good judgment for your life 
Does that make sense? Like maybe you're striving in the lyric, but maybe that's good because the lyric wants to be strived over. Um, it's not good for your life, but maybe it's an exorcism of sorts. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I am. It is honest, and I think I guess the thing, particularly, that's tricky about being a Christian and being an artist is there is some fundamental piece I believe of the arts that's transgressive. It cuts across boundaries. It explores knocking out walls. And if you don't have a little bit of the iconoclast in you, and you're following too many rules, even if they're wonderful, like sort of permission and life-giving rules, they can end up being destructive to the art. Because the fundamental thing is about digging in and exploring these places that are not always difficult. Sometimes they're happy, you know, or carefree, but they, they have to be explored at their, taken for their own f- face value, if that makes sense. And I think different, different, uh, like you're saying, kind of different songs or different arts call for different things. One of the things I was just thinking about is there is a time to collaborate and a time not to collaborate, and you have to figure that out. Um, That's what if was- you know that you are you haven't written your own songs in a long time. Like, I know for me, if I'm uh, feeling like there's a deficit there, if I try to collaborate, it's kind of a nightmare. Mm, Um, (laughs) Because all I want is my way. Mm, Yeah. Um, (laughs) Did I make clear half of our life? Um, So, and on the other hand, you have to care for your your artistic life, and if you do that... um, then you'll find time for yourself to write your own stuff and then figure out, oh, you know, your collaboration becomes that much better, you know. So, you know, being aware in that regard. That's kind of a distraction what you guys were saying, but it's part of it. It's a good, I I just want to say that's a really important distinction to make is what you need a collaborator for. Because like you talked about shutting down, sometimes that's the best thing to do as a collaborator is to shut down and serve the person. Mm -hmm. And so you you have to figure out what is this person, especially when you're a producer, what does this artist need from me? When I work with the person, you you don't want to run someone's brilliance out of the room. Right. Someone's in in a good moment or... They need to shine. Then you need to sit back and let them. Yeah, shine. and there, and it comes down to sermon head. I think the the, so the difficult thing is knowing um, when it's your time to shine, right? <laughs> you know, and allowing yourself to have a moment to shine too, and be like, I'm in a moment. I need to kind of maybe hush some voices in the room so I can be focused mm-hmm. on what I'm doing right now too. Dude, I've been thinking about this like almost every day this year because I've been collaborating with people who I really, really respect, and like people who. Sorry, this is kind of with case in the room. It's a little more awkward, but like people who like I have this strong suspicion might just be better than me at what I do. Like, and having to just kind of like as I drive to work every day, go do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Like, just kind of die that death. Like I've I've had to deal with that a lot. Just kind of going like, okay, voice in my head that tells me I'm not good enough. Fine, I'll concede that point. I'm not like. You know, like that's the only way that I know to beat the devil at that game is to just be like, okay, fine. Like, let's say you're right, and I'm just objectively not the best person in this room. Do I still have a place? Do I still, do I still matter? Do I still have something to contribute? And the answer is yes, I do. I do, and I'm confident in what I have to. Fact is, like, I know that I'm really good at some things. Like, and I can bring those into the room without arrogance and just be like, yeah, this is what I do. I'm really good at it. I wanna, I wanna contribute it. But since it's not what's giving me, like, my purpose and joy and importance anymore if you ask me not to contribute it i'm not going to get pissed at you either you know like if you tell me like you know i'm a string arranger if you tell me i'm going to write your string arrangement for you right now i'm going to stand over your shoulder could i possibly be talking about someone we know um and (laughs) i'm going to stand over your shoulder and write the string arrangement for you i can be like 
Oh, cool. You know, I've written, I've written a bunch of those. I don't need to write another one today. You know, anyway, been dealing with that a lot lately. Just kind of like that idea of being like, I do have a purpose and I do have strengths and I do matter, but I don't have to be the most important and I don't have to be the best. And I don't always have to be honored or valued every day. Like sometimes I can and sometimes I can't. Anyway. Just with that as well, it's like just knowing different people's personalities. Like some people need, like the goal of any given moment might be that just to make someone feel important in, in the, in what they're contributing to the, the whole. And and maybe that's just going to give them the confidence that their next idea might be great. And, And I think, and, and again, to let them have that moment and then maybe an hour from then, collectively including them was like you know what that's not great you know but but just sort of like keeping the energy of the room moving you know just to keep it moving like yeah. you don't because if you're like that's that's a bad idea we don't need to do that you, you know you, you need to sit down right now and let this person have this it's like that could just make everyone tense up yeah you know, and yeah. feel really uncomfortable it's like well let's have this it might be great and if it's not it'll reveal itself in time to mm-hmm. not be great and the group will tend to agree and mm-hmm. We'll, we'll move past it. <laughs> if everyone in the room is considering everybody better than themselves, then everybody's just more thankful mm-hmm. and, and more able to do those things. Just mm-hmm. kind of be like, okay, I'm just thankful to be here. I'm just glad to be here. Let me know when I can be of service, you know, yeah. whether it's pushing buttons or whether it's being the creative one. Right. At the that's what I was saying, too. There's like, to not get stuck in there like, oh, you go. No, 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 no. You yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go. At some point, someone yeah. has to walk through the door Somebody and be like, I'm yeah. go. Like, that's, to me, sort of like... No, I, I think I can be naturally kind of passive and kind of like let everyone yeah. kind of go. And it's like, but kind of knowing when it's my place to kind of be like, okay, this is where my gifts shine a little bit more. So I'm mm-hmm. going to try to step forward here and, and, and take this or, you know, whatever. I, you know, I've heard that T-Bone Burnett like tries to outlaw the, the terms my guitar part, my keyboard part, and use the guitar part and the keyboard part. And that, that there's less propriety over right. the over the right. individual components of a, of a whole and I, I always feel like, to me, the question of whether I am, you know, a vessel to be honored or a vessel to be <laughs> destroyed in, in the given process has less to do with me than it does with the goal, which is the art. And that's the moment. It's when you transcend. It's like in, you know, sort of romance. It, it, the, the best moments in that are when you transcend yourself and you transcend the other person and you're united in this other thing, which is both, right? Mm-hmm. So I think likewise, when, when everybody in the room cares about the art more than they care about themselves or the other people, that's when the real magic starts happening. And at that point, you're unselfconscious. You're neither glorifying nor diminishing your gifts. They are your gifts, right. and they will either function now or they won't function now, and that doesn't right. matter. And there are in those moments you can see even, I, you know what, I'm the vessel to be broken. I'm pushing against this person so they can stand up and knock me down because that's what's going to happen right now, and that's going to enable a power to come through, you know? And um, sometimes I've made that choice, and it's been poor. <laughs> uh, yeah, one time I got Sarah Groves to throw her pencil down and leave the room when she said, well, then you write it. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I pushed too hard this time. <laughs> uh, I really, I really, yeah, we do laugh about it. And the lyric is on the record the way she wrote it, and it was a good lyric. And several mothers have commented that they love that lyric more than the other ones. I'm not a mother, so how would I know? At any rate, um, anyway, I, I just think that's that thing is important, That that sort of, Become, reaching the place of unselfconsciousness where the art, you know, whatever you call that, whether it's idea or whatever is central. Can I add one thing to that? Um, and I would say you get there, okay, there's two types of people, people who are not confident and people who are overconfident. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to come down to the middle ground um, takes, obviously, if you're overconfident, you have to become humble. But as 
someone who grew up in the church and uh, and played as an adult in a lot of churches. And as a woman. And as a woman in a lot of churches. We got a lot of that um, less of us, Lord, more of you uh, prayer right before we went on. And um, it ends up adding up to feel like a kind of nihilism that sucks your soul out. <laughs> and, and so for me, I feel like what I learned was I'm nothing. And so my confidence, and that's how I translated it. I don't know if other people translate it that way, but it ended up coming across that way to me. Like I should become less. I should become less. And um, that's not the right answer. It, what we're supposed to do is become more ourselves because as we are more ourselves, we are actually more Christ-like. Um, and by that, I mean, uh, he's, he's made us as individuals. So we're supposed to be able to walk and step in a confident way. So in these moments when we're writing or in the studio or whatever it is, there are times to be, to just think you're the, the bomb, not in a, not, not the way I, (laughs) I guess honestly, for me, I have felt like in the past couple of years that I'd needed to think in terms of uh, I call it my badassery year because I feel like that is something I lacked for a long time. And I feel like the people that I admire have that already ingrained in them. And you can't do great things if you don't think you can do great things. And so that would be the other side of it. I think you need both. And, and of course, usually the two are very linked. Um, I mean, maybe always the two are very linked. You, th- you either think you're great or you think you're terrible, and you probably think them both at the same well, time. Well, I think it's important like that, that you can hold them both, and we've already kind of said it, but it's like the, the goal is to get to a place where you're like, where you're able to be like, yeah, I'm the guy for this job. Right. And you're also able to be like, nope, I'm not the guy for this job. Right. And neither one makes right. you feel any more or less value in right. the universe. Right. It's well, more I'm just kind of like, for this job, but I'm going to have to do it anyway. <laughs> I'm going to have to do it anyway. Yeah. 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 And that's where the effort comes in. But yeah, you know, I mean, that was the yeah, I mean, If we had more money, I would definitely not be the guy for this job. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a there's a a Lewis quote, and I think it's in The Great Divorce, where he says, you know, God wants to get us in the state where we could design the greatest cathedral in the world and know it to be the greatest and not be any otherwise glad than we that we had done it than if it had been done by another. It's kind of that place of transparency where when you're creating the art is the thing, not you. Yeah, the cathedral. Yeah. And, you know, I was going to say about, you know, humility that, you know, the arrogant person needs humility. And the person that thinks he sucks and everybody's better than him needs humility because that's not that's not humility. Humility is self-forgetfulness. Humility is where you're so taken up in in something other than you. And when you were creating art or when I'm improvising, that self-forgetfulness is like breathing heaven. Because you, you're totally forget that you're there. And sometimes when we're writing, I do that. I totally forget that I, we're even there. We're just taken up in this thing. And I forget that I'm, you know, what my name is. I forget everything but that thing. And it's a wonderful place to be. You know, of course, you don't always stay there. But I guess the main point I wanted to make is that arrogant person is not humble. And the the, the fake humility person is proud, too, because he thinks he has to be something. And is and is frustrated that he's not. And George uh, George McDonald said, uh, "If it be things that slay us, what matter if it's things that we have or things we have not? Because we're not in that place of self forgetfulness. We're grasping, 
And that's what I mean. I think I think that's what I mean by that kind of striving, the grasping after becoming something great. It's like for you and it's not for the art because there is there is the right kind of effort, which is the effort of faith. You're looking at the art you're making and you want to make it better. And it's not about you. And there's that kind of effort and endurance. I just want to clarify that because because I, I don't I because I do. I mean, I work I work really hard to do what I do. And I know these guys do. And so I'm not disparaging effort if it's done in the right way but if it comes effort from unbelief and not focusing on the art but you're focusing on you're worried about what other people will think of the art you're already off track right there so yeah well i think there's especially in my generation there's just so much false humility mm-hmm. and sort of self-deprecation and that's sort of seen as you know holier making more of the lord less of yourself and mm-hmm. um, Someone showed me this quote a couple of years ago that really works against that, and I've thought a lot about it and wrestled with it a lot, and I think for the most part it makes sense to me, and it certainly does works against that false humility. <laughs> but, uh, oh yeah, I'm just with this. <laughs> um, the, the quote, this is attributed to Nelson Mandela, but it was this other, Marianne Williamson said it. It says, uh, it is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Mm-hmm. It is our light and not our darkness that frightens us most. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Mm-hmm. You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. Mm-hmm. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that others may feel, won't feel insecure around you. Mm-hmm. We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just for some of us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we are unconscious. We unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just sort of a great uh-huh. thing, like going into a situation, being like, I don't have to be insecure. Uh-huh. That's created me with gifts, like having faith in the gift and having faith in the giver. Mm-hmm. It's like you're, you're walking in with confidence, but not a confidence that's based on your own work. It's, mm-hmm. you know, confidence it's in a Christ. gift. Yeah. And, 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 and being free in that way does liberate people to be free too. Like, mm-hmm. wow, that's really beautiful. I want to do the same. Like, this is possible. Yeah. And we haven't... Sorry. Oh, real quick. Yeah. I, and I would say greatness is an act of holiness. I mean, it's an act of worship. So whether you're letting yourself be great or letting other or allowing other people to be great, I think God just loves greatness. That's and so great. we should be about ourselves being great and helping other people be great. And that's you know? what's great about collaboration. I think that whole thing about, like, it's not about you. It's not your part. It's the part. It's like mm-hmm. we're serving this thing that we're collectively involved in. Mm-hmm. If you win... I win. Right. Mm-hmm. We win. It's like, you know, setting everyone else up for a victory in what they're doing, eliminating their distractions so that they can be in that hot seat and have that moment. It's like like collaboration, doing it well is really about serving an actual humility and not mm-hmm. false humility. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, we've been talking about this for an hour or whatever, and we haven't mentioned at all the metaphor of, like, the body of Christ, but it really comes into play. And, and it, like, I think it plays right into what you're saying. It's just like, you know, if the idea or whatever is the head and we're all, we're all just parts, and then suddenly it becomes like, oh, that's right. I am not the, the whatever because this person is that right now, and it doesn't lessen me. It just, uh-huh. I'm able to just kind of be the part of the body that I am. Let them be who they are. We support each other, and we're you know we're all kind of united under one head, which is Christ. You know? so, anyway, how long did we that. go? By the way, yeah, well, I think I think it's supposed to be an hour and a half. So, if you could begin to um, like 
compile a list of like the, the ten signs that you may be able to collaborate with another person, you know, to how to identify that person huh. because you obviously can't be yoked together with just anyone if you're all going to agree that that's a great idea. So how do you identify that person? Yeah, you can't. what the budget is. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can be yoked together with anybody, and, and it depends on, um, it, it's, it may be a waste of time, but remember, all wastes of time, as we learned in the beginning, are part of your education. <laughs> And I think, though, that the trick, the reason I'm getting to that, because in Nashville there's this culture of co-writing, and a lot of what, what I, the answer that I'm giving is predicated on the idea of there being rules. So more than asking, should we collaborate together, the question might be, what are the rules around our collaboration? And that will give us freedom to operate within them or to go outside of them per a discussion. The thing that's amazing about the Nashville co-writing thing is you walk in, meet a rank stranger, sit down and write a song in three hours. And I've done this now, I don't know, I, I'm not, I don't write as often as like real songwriters do, but I've done it a hundred times probably. And it's bizarre, you know, and sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. And the nice thing is, unlike an album where you're working together for two to six weeks, it's, it's three hours. <laughs> And so, but it's predicated on if we write something together, then it's 50 50. There's, there's even like that's a financial reality that goes with whatever you bring to the session. So, if it's an untested co writer, don't bring your best chorus, right? Like you find out how it's going to work before you lose the song to somebody, you know? And there's some of that, it's some, some of it's just sort of business. Like, I, I feel like those have been, and like I said about the theater, it has such strict rules about when we take breaks, what we're allowed to talk on during those breaks, what, you know, all that stuff. That was what helps make collaboration fruitful is boundaries. And so instead of it being, I, I mean, there, there are exceptions. We are married, and so we have these tremendously emotional and therefore sometimes unproductive times. Uh, and there are special collaborations like this relationship here where it's there's a, a a meshing of hearts around the art, right? And those those are special, but they don't have to be there in order to have successful collaboration if the rules are clear. And then you can take it or leave it depending on how it went. Does that does that make sense? But most of us are more, much more informal with our writing, and those constructs aren't in place in the culture of writing that we exist in. So and how I, would we I would, those I would I, just talk about them I myself. would try it. I mean, I, I've, I've not done that many co-writes with other people, but... Every time I've done it, I've learned a lot, and I have learned very quickly, within one or two, who I would like to work with again. I think you just know. You know how you work, and if, if and any co-write can become better as you try it again and again and again, but you just have to, at a certain point, decide how much is this worth my time, and how much effort is it going to take to try to come to the same language, whereas the other people are a lot easier. You're more on the same page. I think you just have to like have boundaries around, okay, let's try a three-hour co-write and then you know see from there you know does that make sense it does it's just a much smaller pool you know oh, where sure. I sure. Where you right. <laughs> yeah. but I guess not because you have the internet so like you have the people you might yeah it works do you have something to say no oh, you don't. I, always, I always say to my son you know he'll say oh I can't do it I'll say I, want, I need you to do this or such and such and oh, I can't do that I'm not or he'll be trying to do something and I can't do it. I'm no good at it, you know. And I and I just go, Ethan. How do you learn to do something? And he'll always go, by doing it. <laughs> All right. So you know, sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, finding something, somebody that you actually even like, you know, like just a just a friend that writes songs and go, you want to try to write a song, and you might not come out with anything, but you'll learn something out of it. Yeah, I was gonna say like on to make those decisions like it, on a very simple gut level, just the on a subconscious level, like, is, does it sound like fun? 
You know, like if, if this person's like, they like what you like, you kind of want to do the same thing. It's like, that sounds awesome. You know, and if, yeah. as opposed to like, this person's creative, but I, I don't know. Like, it just seems like it would be, you know, I mean, and sometimes you, you do go into that situation and it is productive and it is wonderful. But I don't know, and on a certain level, it's just like, do you want to have a common vision? I think when, as I used to, I was telling you this last night, I used to be like, I would never want to co-produce with someone. That just sounds like miserable to me. And I think when Ben and I started doing it and hanging out, it was like, oh, like, there's, I feel like the music we like, the music we try to create is like, we have a common vision. It goes back to that, mm-hmm. having a common goal that you're going toward. And But I also could see that we had different skill sets. Like, we approached things in different ways, and there was things that I wanted to achieve that I couldn't do very well. And Ben had a skill set that was able to do it. So that was just really exciting to me. It's like, yeah. wow, this makes me stronger. This makes me feel like... It's not even about making me stronger. It made the project, the, the vision, felt stronger because he was involved. And so, just in a very selfish way, it was just like, oh, this makes this makes my job easier and more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I add real quick? I'm sorry. Keep going. Um, that's actually a really great point because I feel like uh, one of the reasons why I really like to write with Don is he's really strong in an area that I struggle with more. You know, he does lyrics like nobody's business and so i'm like come help me like Great i had lyrics. a line that ended with the, line, the words nobody's business <laughs> anyway but, fi- <laughs> but finding pe- but finding finding i'll try one more time yeah, okay. but finding people who fill the you know areas that you know you're not as good at is not a bad idea yeah. and i you know I, like i'm being nonchalant about the rules and everything it's not like it might not break your heart <laughs> no joke i mean the the reality is that the, what we're talking about doing mining sort of the depths of this hidden part of ourselves the deers at the at the fringe of the forest or whatever and crap like that and And the lightly rain anyway uh lightly falling rain so but it's serious and and really emotional stuff and can be tied to the you know our family of origin it can be tied to very important things from that are in our heart now are like deep insecurities and so it's not like it's not the terrain of total destruction <laughs> i mean it really can be and and part of that you know i developed a term with when i was working with sarah groves that i've used from then on which is the golden thread song and what that was was when she would play me a song we developed a way that was the shorthand for saying enter with kid gloves if you're going to say anything negative about this you need to know this one's like tied to my heart on a tether and so, so that's just a better name than sacred cow <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right right yeah golden thread yeah i think it's yeah you're an idolater um so um I, yeah i think yeah. I think it's that's been helpful to know and it's good to, it's good to try to before a collaboration like i said don't bring that certain chorus Try to think, okay, I'm going to do this. What am I going to do? And how how would I feel if it got taken somewhere I didn't want? At, at which point you might say, I don't want to bring anything to this. I want to write from scratch, which is fine. And that's a great way to, to – or bring something you don't like, you know, although you run the risk that they don't like it either. <laughs> Does that make sense, though? I don't know if that helps. I mean, it, it's good to realize what the stakes are. Yeah when you're trying to set all these rules and everything. It's going to be really hard either way. It's like I say that it should be fun and be easy, but that's sort of like an initial feeling. Like any, even with someone you collaborate well with, it's like there's going to be those moments where it, um, it can become difficult. But it sounds like you're, you know, you're talking about like not having that big of a pool and, you know. So it, it's going to be a lot of hard work either way you go. So 
I think it's good to do it with someone you generally feel safe around. You feel like and they may need to be open with and see and ride on Skype. <laughs> Seriously, I mean that's. Yeah. I mean, you have to. Uh, you would at least want to find somebody who's got similar tastes. Right. I, mean, yeah. I know that's I obvious, but it's so true. And I mean, we just read this quote. Uh, you maybe you saw it. I, I kind of was floating around Twitter for a while, but it was that Ira Glass quote about how like the the one characteristic of a good artist is taste. Like, if you've got good taste, then in theory, you could sit. If you sit in a room long enough, you'll come up with a great song. If you've got good taste, because eventually you'll you'll, you'll be like. Well, that lyric isn't good, that lyric isn't good, that lyric isn't good, that lyric isn't good, but that one is. And eventually you could maybe come up with a whole song of good lyrics that tie together just because you've got good taste, even if you're not gifted or prolific or whatever. So, you know, if you can get in a room with somebody who also has good taste, then you'll... I mean, that's been... I haven't co-wrote, co-wrote much, but the ones where I knew that it wasn't, wasn't going to work was the ones where I hated every one of their ideas and they hated every one of my ideas. It was just like, oh yeah, well we can't write together. <laughs> we don't like the same things yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah, you know, there has to be some commonality. Yeah, there. and that, that's what I that's what I found with you know Rebecca was in talking about on Rabbit Room talking about theology and authors that we liked and and sort of some of the music that we liked and some of it was like just you know radically disparate music. You know, mm-hmm. is that the right word? But uh, but there was a general sense of, you know, yeah, you know, this we're kind of in the same direction, kind of in the same, covering the same area, but with strengths, you know, strengths on one side and weaknesses, and then strengths and weaknesses on this side that complement the other. So I think an important down. thing too that I remember talking about this when we first started going on, or started producing together. Um, it's easy to kind of be like, well, you're yeah. A skilled piano player, and I'm untrained. So you play on the piano, and right. and you know, or I'm good at this, so I'm going to do that. And then people start casting you in these roles of like, well, you're the guy that's like this, and I'm the guy that's mm-hmm. like this. And then you start seeing yourself as a fragmented version yeah. of yourself, yeah. as opposed to like, well, you're way out here on this skill level, and I'm way out here on this one. It's like we both are are talented at all of these things. Yeah. So there's there's moments where it's right for me to say. You know, I'm I'm gonna do this, or for you to say I'm gonna do that, or whatever. Yeah. But um, but to not like, I think that that's the pitfall of collaboration is like, uh-huh. like, well, you're the lyricist, you have to write yeah. all the lyrics, so and be like, I have a good lyric well. today. No, yeah. Like part of your job is to love him well, to recognize when he has a good lyric to the table, yeah. and not push it out of the room because he's not the lyricist. Or whatever. I I play, you know, I play in a band and have collaborated, you know, with this band for. 20 years and that's one of the things that happened to me that made me unable to write or even to really sing my own songs well was being in such a uh, clearly defined role within the band that I play a certain style of banjo on certain kinds of songs and then I play certain style of guitar you know it's my styles but it's very delineated and in a box and I'm I'm not saying that's bad. That's one of the things that makes our band identifiable. But so I'm I, my playing banjo playing is in this box. My guitar playing is in this box, and my singing is in this box, and my songwriting is in this box. And I really lost myself in that because I thought I was those boxes. Mm-hmm. I thought that's who I was for the longest time, and and I never found it fully satisfying because they were boxes and they were not the full extent of what I wanted to do. And I didn't even know that, you know. And in the past few years, you know, God's been unraveling those things. And, you know, one of the solutions he presented was her to come there and go, well, it's just like um, uh, we did this video for this song, Paper Airplane. And the the wardrobe woman came 
And she, you know, she had seen pictures of the stories. Yeah, wardrobe. Well, a wardrobe woman came. She came and she looked at me. She came and looked at me and she put clothes on. You know, she gave me clothes and I put them on. She looked. She went, yeah, I think that's good. And then, she took, then she took a hat and she took one hat and she went, oh, she took it off. And then she, and it's, it's clothes I never would have worn on my own. I didn't see myself this way. And then she put a hat, you know, one of those sort of like British looking hats on me. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, I like that. And then I began to, because somebody else viewed me a different way, I began to view myself a different way. And that's one of the ways that I was kind of pulled out of the boxes was by having her go, well, no, that's, that's just that. And let's do this. And I think that's one of the benefits of collaboration uh-huh. is you have somebody that sees you from the outside. Uh-huh. And, and if, if they have vision and if they you know, really have you know, God kind of directing at some level, then they're gonna, you're going to catch some vision of you from the outside from this other person. And that's what's been hugely beneficial to me. Case and I were talking about that, and I think it's probably true of both of the records that we've done together so far this year, Andrews and then this this girl, J.J. Heller, like that um, we felt like what we were doing as, because we're not only collaborating with each other, but we're also together as sort of a unit collaborating with this artist, and we felt like our job was like exactly what you described, like, and we we even put it in terms of clothes, like we want to give J.J. an outfit to wear that she's going to have to wear for the next two years of her life that's just a little cooler than... The, then yeah. the last, like, like yeah. the challenges her a little bit, that, but, but it still feels like her. Yeah. And that involved us knowing her, like yeah. trying to understand who she really is, what's valuable to, about, about herself to her, to her fans, mm-hmm. and be able to give her something to wear that people will still recognize her in, and they won't be like, oh, come on, really. Trying like, you know, you're trying to be yeah. somebody else. But that would still be like just a little nicer than what she would pick out for herself. But, but really, like a side of herself that's already there. Yeah. Like, I feel like we talked a lot about that with, with Andrews, too. It's like, we want to do something that was different and new for him, but was him. Just a side of himself that he hadn't mm-hmm. done before. Yeah. And so it's like, it's, you know, hopefully people listen hear that and they're like, oh, this is true. This is honest to who he is. This is mm-hmm. honest to the music that he likes. It's, it's, it's honest to his taste. You know, it's just not us imposing something else on someone else. So it's that sense of discovering, like, yeah. what are sides of you that haven't been brought out before? Yeah. So I have two quick follow-up thoughts on that. One, one of the ways to say what Ron was talking about is like, it's good to blow things up at a regular on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, and whether that's swapping up collaboration partners or just doing something you th- don't think's like real, and you can always do it in a no-risk environment. That's the other thing. If you if you set up rules around yourself. And this goes back to that thing that that are that make it safe, and, and by that I mean sometimes it's like I'm gonna write a song with a like hip hop beat in it. You know, I never do that, so I'm gonna yeah. Seriously, and I and I think I've definitely done that and put some of them out, unfortunately. So I think um, I, I think that you know that whole thing of like blowing stuff up. I'm a big fan of that. And then the other thing is um, one of the things I also think that's tricky, and and it's really it's interesting the producer role can be a really tricky one because a lot of times you're you're carrying a torch for an artist that they either aren't aware of or if they were they wouldn't want to know it and you know there's the question of do you lie to your artist or not um tony visconti always used to say absolutely i do anything to get the job done you know i'm not a big fan of lying to the artist but on the other hand i've learned over the years a certain measure of discretion you don't say that it sounds like journey even if it sounds like journey if you know the person hates journey but you're thinking that is the baseline from you know uh <laughs> What's the song I'm thinking of? Doo, boo, doo, doo. Don't stop. Okay, yeah, don't stop leaving. So, um, 
anyway, um, so there's a certain kind of truth-telling that you learn to ameliorate um, as, as befits the situation. One of the things that I, I will say that I've discovered, this is sort of the flip side of the cool thing, is sometimes if that's an openly held word, cool, hip, etc., people can have an allergic reaction to it. And you, have, you do have to be careful. In fact, I actually got to the, I, I had this one saying with this guy that was particularly cool, and I could see that it was inhibiting him from being childlike and everything. I used the phrase, cool is the enemy of great. And then he got drunk one night and told somebody else, coolness is the great enemy of greatness, which I think is so much better than <laughs> cool, cool is the enemy of great. Coolness is the great enemy of greatness. So, um, so I think that that's... became an, his mantra. Yeah, it did. It did. It did, yeah. And I have since just attributed it to myself. Um, and so, um, but I think, yeah, it, it really helps. And I think it's, um, it's part of the way of blowing things up is, is shatter your own expectations, you know, because really like even, even being, being cool, right? Like being afraid of being cool can be its own form of cool. Right. I mean, so it just, that's, that's a set of linguistic terms that you have to be tread lightly as you're, as you're interacting around them because they can set off all sorts of fireworks for people like, well, I'm not here to be cool. You know, it's like, well, okay, I don't mean that. (laughs) I mean something else, you know, actually, I think that that's like that kind of borders on a whole topic of, I was just thinking about this again yesterday. I have this theory that no one in the whole world likes to be told that they look like someone else. Nobody likes it. Like, I don't know if you've ever had anybody do it, but like no matter who you are, and I always am tempted to tell people, oh, yeah, you look like so-and-so. I'm just like, no. Like everybody wants to believe that they are someone and that they aren't identifiable, which makes it problematic for me because I've got a full-on twin. I've got a full-on doppelganger here in Nashville. And people will go up, yeah, people will go up to him and be talking to him and think they're talking to me, you know. And for a while there, like it really like kind of, it was creepy and all that. And now I'm I'm over it. I'm okay. But like I think that that's true musically too. Like one thing I've learned is like I never make references. I always let the artist make references. I don't ever go, oh, this song could totally have a killer's thing. Don't. Like, let them say that. But for me, I just keep that all in my head and I start doing the – I do the things that would make it have the killer's thing and see if they like those things. But as soon as you start, like, labeling the person you're collaborating with, telling them who they are and stuff like that, everyone bristles at that. And it's also just risky. I mean, you might get lucky and they might like it, but most of the time they're going to be like, I hate that band. Thanks for saying that. I have the opposite that. approach. I, have, I come with such a torrent of references they can't <laughs> Like a fog, a fog of references. That reminds me of one time, one time... Yeah. One time I showed up... I showed up for a session and they told me that they had a keyboard so I didn't bring one and when I got there the keyboard was like this and didn't, didn't have weighted keys and it was like three octaves and they wanted me to play a piano part and they told me they wanted it to sound like Coldplay meets Alicia Keys. Alicia Keys. Oh my gosh, man. I was just like, how am I going to do that? You know, I, I don't know what I did. I don't know what I played. It's crippling now. For more information regarding the songs, writers, and artists featured here, please visit rabbitroom.com. Rabbit Room music composed and performed by Ben Shive.